0: Now on to the podcast. We head over to Youth Baseball on this week's ABCA podcast. David Klein is the founder of Menlo Parks Legends Baseball and Speedball. Klein has been recognized by the Positive Coaching Alliance for his work with youth baseball. Klein founded Legends Camp in 2008. Klein is a self-described experience designer and holistic coach. Klein finished his baseball career at UC Santa Barbara and had a chance to play on the Jewish national team for ABCA Hall of Famer Jerry Weinstein. In this episode, we cover holistic coaching, fixes for youth baseball, speedball, and how to create a fun environment for players. Let's welcome David Klein to the podcast. Wow,
1: that's pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah there, so we, many, there so were so many blessings yeah. in COVID. like It just shook everything up. Yeah. We all had to try to do different things. We met, we met new pe- people. We figured out new ways to serve kids, and then a lot of those things turned out to be Better things and a lot of things that we missed. Now we we're now grateful for. We don't take them for granted anymore. Yeah, and I think so that's it, why it really.
0: I think yeah. that's why you have seen some amateur coaches get some pro jobs too. I mean, it was starting to happen pre-COVID, but not as much. Oh my god! I think it it really brought pro on down because everybody. It didn't matter who you were. anybody could jump on those Zoom chats. So I think it got people connected that would have never gotten connected pre-COVID ever. Yeah, it
1: forced everything online. And yeah, I mean, we were all we were like more connected than ever before, or just yeah. using the internet. Yeah. And so it uh it leveled the playing field a little bit. So it was it was pretty cool. I, I honestly I think uh for me, COVID I it really, really changed my life for the better, as bad as it was for the world. Um, mental health and all those things—it it transformed my life, my programs, my coaches, and how we serve for the better, um, which was really cool.
0: Yeah, I don't think it hurt the adults. I think it hurt the kids. Like that—that's where you see oh, more it, of it. Is it? it you know, my—I have a 20-year-old and a 17-year-old. It—it it hurt them from a social aspect, and i I—I yeah, couldn't, I, I I couldn't imagine having a grade school kid at that time, and now you know what those oh. kids and how far back and how delayed they are developmentally, because they basically missed two years of of social interaction, basically.
1: Totally, and I think it's gonna take some time for that, the research and the effects to really take shape. I think we're only, we're learning right now. And I think it's up to the coaches of nowadays to help kids continue to emerge from COVID from the, t- the days that we've spent. I mean, they missed years of social interaction, playing together outside uh, days on their, you know, on their phones where they're, they're not developing. Um, and so I think it's up to us coaches to figure out how to lean into that and make up for some lost time.
0: Yeah. Cause I work youth camps and I don't treat any different, uh, pre COVID with them and how I'm coaching them. And like, we have a good time, but you can tell when I'm trying to communicate with some of those kids, they, they have a hard time even having a conversation with you.
1: I took, uh, this last week and I took a, um, we do all, we don't do travel ball, but we do have a a uh, thirteen, fourteen, you high school prep team, and and um, I started doing this before. After I was, I was a high school varsity coach, and I realized that the kids, the way they were interacting, it wasn't the same as the way that. I was interacting. I, I was the varsity coach at my alma mater and things were different. Kids weren't getting their licenses. They would show up. They would be really stressed out. They wouldn't be able to approach me um, and talk in person. They'd be texting me. And I was like, hmm, what is going on? So I started taking my teams every, uh, every year out to 48 um, hour offline camping trips. And we just did it again this last weekend. And it, every time I do it, I have some of my most profound moments and experiences coaching kids and I feel like if anyone really wants to get to know their kids take them on a camping trip yeah, yeah I just went for 48 hours my, and take away all their technology
0: my 20 year old and I just went and hiked the Blue Ridge Mountains on Friday he loves it I don't really camp I don't hike um but he loves it so I was like I'm gonna do it and um but my 17 year old daughter is gonna be a freshman in college next year she still doesn't have her license because she had an autoimmune disorder During COVID, so we had to be really careful. She's fine now, her blood work's fine. Luckily, uh, we moved to North Carolina and uh, one of the best neurologists in the world is at Wake Forest Hospital. So we spent a lot of time during COVID running her over to to Wake and um, luckily the medication that she was put on uh, cleaned up her her blood work, but it was an immunosuppressor. So during COVID, it was frightening uh, for her and our family because if she would have got sick, uh, because her white blood, that, that pill she take, it's called cell uh, it, um, it suppressed her white cell counts. So like that was frightening yeah. during COVID, but luckily, you know, luckily totally. she's fine now. It's clear. And, um, but she still doesn't have her license because of it. She's been through driver's ed. Yeah. She wanted to, I, she, she was always nervous about it anyway. Now my son, he, yeah. I, I think guys and girls are a little bit different with that. I was, I yeah. was driving before I had a license, <laughs> So. Well, I remember when
1: I I drove off that lot that day. I remember the gas was a dollar eighty nine, and I pulled off that lot, and in my in my uh, I bought um, a black. Uh, I think it was a two thousand Ford Explorer. And I pulled it off the lot, and I, I literally was in tears because I was yeah. so happy yeah. it's to have my freedom. It's freedom. And um, and nowadays, the, there's actual research on this. There's an author by the name of Gene Twenge who wrote a book uh, called iGen, which is really about Gen Z, showing the uh, the amount of time that kids are playing outdoors. The amount of times that they're partying, the amount of times that they are getting their licenses, like it's all, it's going way, it's, uh, it's decreasing very fast. Well, and the along phone, with that the phone is-
0: has a lot to do with that too. I look at me personally, I look at my peer group and we talk about all the time. I am so glad there were no phones around when I was growing oh, up. Oh yeah. I, totally. I think kids are guarded now because of the phone. Like anything can get videotaped. Anything can get recorded audio, like anything. So I just think this generation's way more guarded because they've seen what happens when it gets put out on social, like, you know, and then kids are supposed to be kids. Like you're supposed to make mistakes at 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. You're supposed to make mistakes. That's how you learn and move on. And we've taken that. The phone has taken that opportunity away from kids to be able to make mistakes and it won't hurt you for the rest of your life. Now something that you said or did at 15 might come back 10 or 11 years from now, uh, you just never know. So I just think it's yeah, it's a much more guarded generation, which which stinks because I loved the time that I grew up. I grew up in the 80s, early 90s was in high school and it was a free time. Like you could you could make poor decisions and it wasn't going to hurt you for the rest of your life.
1: Totally. And the and the world, the world was your teacher. You'd be outside kicking the can down the creek and you're picking teams and getting beat up. and And, you know, it's getting dark. You know, parents are yelling for you to come in. Um, In my community now, when I drive around, you just you just can't find kids outside on the streets anymore. And it's and it's really sad. Um, They're so used to having the technology and phones um, and just being overprogrammed in general be their means for for play. So they don't know how to set up their own games and play stickball and um, and I do think it's impacting their athletic abilities, their abilities to focus, their ability for creative continuous thought, their ability to get in the zone. When you're having uh, you know Fortnite on on a 72 inch screen with wall-to wall carpet, it's really hard to to compete with that um, when you're standing out in right field for 10 minutes and you're an 11 year old. And so it does it's a, it's a new world we're in right now. And I think that Gen Xers, and millenn- younger or sorry older millennials, um, we we were the first ones who had kids on screens, and the te- and the technology uh, the the research wasn't out there just yet. I think now my hope is that uh, younger millennials, and um, and then as Gen Z starts to have kids, they're going to be a little bit more intentional about how they help their kids develop a healthy relationship with technology and Jen and I, I coming think it's,
0: behind them too you know Jen Alpha is that generation oh. behind I saw and I like TikTok I mean I, I put baseball content out on TikTok but my for totally. you pages is, is the wild wild west I like the TikTok algorithm because it feeds you what you pay attention to but because I'm into so many different things I get fed stand-up comedians I get fed you know, concerts, you know, outside baseball content. There's all kinds of stuff coming through my For You page. But there was a stand-up comedian that was getting interviewed. I can't remember which stand You know, there's a ton of stand-up podcasts. Um, the, yep. The, for anybody that's into stand-up, watch the uh, Comedy Store, uh, one that's on Showtime. It's a six uh, – it's a docu-series. It's great. Uh, Paulie Shore's mom started the uh, Comedy Store in L.A., but there's a stand-up comedian talking about his dad told him he's like, hey, you know, the difference between y- your generation growing up and the new generation now you're having kids is when a kid got home in the past, the parents were allowed to parent at that point because there were no phones. That's not the case anymore. Kids, when they get home, they're still on their phones, so they're getting parented still by their peer group, by what they see on social, like, and and it's really taken away. Some of the benefit of the parents that they used to have, where you could get a kid in the house and it was just you and them, where then they could parent a little bit more. Where I think that's gotten taken away too, which you can see that in the new generation of kids also.
1: Oh, totally. I this weekend when we we took their phones away, I I we did some pre-survey work and I I knew I, I knew who came in, who had phones, who didn't, who was on it, and who um, who was off it a lot. And it was very very clear who used their phones and who didn't. The kids that used their phones a lot, they knew every single dirty song out there. (laughs) Um, They they were, and honestly, it it was uncomfortable for me at times, but, you know, walking the path between some racially insensitive things and some misogynistic things that they're being exposed to on the internet. And they were letting, you know, they were comfortable around me and my coaches and they were letting those things come out. But nowhere else were they letting, were they um, exploring their boundaries like that. And I was telling my coaches at that time, I was like, guys, you know how important this weekend is? We're letting these kids, they're not, they don't act like this around their parents, like like what you said. But we are now here as their coaches. There's nowhere else that anybody else will put up the guardrails We are here right now to put up the guardrails and tell them that they can be a leader, that they can, they can decide what's right and wrong. They can influence their peers. They can stand up and say, you know, we don't, we don't say those types of things, or that's not really appropriate. And so we, we talked a lot about that this weekend, but we, we allowed them to make this, this mistakes in safe way. And then we just kind of self-corrected with them without making them run and all that stuff and really let them internalize it and talk about it. And a lot of powerful stuff was done around that campfire for sure.
0: I used to have to check our college guys, you know, and, and again, with, with 18 to 23-year-old males, uh, it was more on the misogyny piece than anything and how yeah, they were talking about females. Totally. So I would have to check guys at, at practice, in the locker room, about their, uh, the way they were talking about women. Like, I would have to check guys all the time. And I'm like, hey, that's not the right way to go about this thing. That's not the right way to talk about females. Like, you need to check what's coming out of your mouth because it's, it's a bad, bad look
1: hundred percent. And I think there's so many great coaches out there. i hopefully a lot, I know a lot of them are listening right here. A lot of them are big part of the ABCA and we talk so much about development, um, how to make our, you know, cultures better, our teams and all that stuff. But I think the, the, the new role or or a lot of these best coaches out there, they're, they're mentors way beyond just the mental game. It's, it's, it's really helping them just as people, as human beings, how to navigate this new world that we're in, which is has more challenges than ever before. Um, and not missing those opportunities. And and when they come up, you know, it's not easy to jump in and, and hear something and say, hey, you know, pulling a kid aside and having that one-on-one conversation. When I was a younger coach, I used to shy away from those conversations. As I've gotten older, I've leaned into them and said, you know, this is a really good opportunity for me to impact that kid in a very, very deep, meaningful way. And he may not like it, and it might be hard hard, but this is the role of a coach in in this new world, especially a youth coach where they're so or amateur coach where they're so impressionable.
0: You figure it out later on, you know, whether whether it's with your parents, as you get older, you figure out what they were actually trying to do with you. It didn't seem like at the time my high school coach was extremely hard on me. I called my high school coach today. I set up our 30th high school reunion in September. I took the bow by the horns, but it's also the 30th anniversary of our state championship team. So I actually called my high school so cool. coach today. His son was a classmate of mine. He was on that team. So I talked to his son yesterday just to make sure that coach knew. And then I followed up today with, with Coach Merkel, who also coached Don Mattingly. He uh, was one of the all-time winningest coaches in the state of Indiana. But was extremely hard on us. And at the time, you're like, eh. But then now it's like, okay, love you, coach. Like I'm a different person because you treated us the way that we were supposed to be treated. Uh, but it, it's totally. way more difficult now here david klein i've uh, been recognized by positive coaching alliance for the work that you've done with legends baseball academy and uh, played at santa barbara city college and also uc santa barbara but gotten a lot of play here for speedball which we're gonna jump into but david thanks for jumping on with me
1: oh ryan thank you so much for having me i'm really looking forward it's a really big honor and the abca has been such a tremendous part of my life and my growth so it's really good to be here with you
0: hey do all roads lead back to jerry weinstein um, I mean, I call, oh, I call him baseball, y- I call him baseball Yoda. Um, but, but do all roads he, he really back to Jerry? I,
1: I, I think they probably do. I think everybody's got Jerry like in their coach's tree or been involved with somebody who's been involved with him, but, uh, what an incredible human being to still be, um, of his age and to give like he continues to give. But I, I played for him on the, uh, 18, my 18 year old Jewish national team in Israel. We won a gold medal together. And we've been, uh, we've been friendly ever since.
0: Was that the only time you had been to Israel?
1: Uh, no, that was the first time I'd been to Israel. I then went to Israel on a birthright trip. Um, I then went to Israel on a six-month experience where I met my wife, where I set up the uh, first and only uh, baseball and softball-specific birthright trip. Um, so I've had some really good ties back in Israel, and then I was involved in the 2012 and 2016 Israel World Baseball Classic qualifying teams.
0: Love it. How did you get from New York to California?
1: When that dot-com boom happened, my dad took a job in Northern California and uh, moved out here and um, been out here ever since. Love it.
0: Was the goal to always stay in Menlo Park after you graduated?
1: No. What were you going
0: to do? Because uh, I mean, it's the same thing for me. My path completely changed after college. But you know, what, what did you think your path was going to be coming out of college?
1: I wanted to be a big league ball player just like everybody did. Um realized I wasn't going to be a big leaguer. Uh,
0: when did you figure had out a lot you, of rough... when did you figure out you weren't going to be a big leaguer?
1: Well, I was a first team all junior college catcher for my two my first two years and then I had offers to go play at UC Irvine, Davis, Chico, would have been the better baseball fit, but um, I just loved. I mean, if anyone's ever been to Santa Barbara, <laughs> I mean, that's a tough place to leave. So I went back there and, uh, I wound up getting hurt my, my junior year and I essentially, um, was just battling and he brought, they over-recruited catchers as they tend to do with, you know, nowadays. And, uh, I was actually cut in the middle of my senior year. And, and from that moment on, I was like, you know what, uh, I actually played, played club ball and that was the moment that I started legends baseball as the 21, 22 year old that I'm still doing today. So I started it as a passion project and it was, I modeled it after a team, an elite collegiate team called the Santa Barbara Foresters who I also played for. And I started it, I started, we had three weeks of summer camp, elite summer collegiate team, um, played games up and down the coast. And every year it would grow and grow. And it was a side project. I took a sales position as a medical device, uh, salesperson, And then, and, uh, and it was kept on growing and growing. And then in 20, 15, I decided, you know what, I was trying to sell a cancer treatment device to actually in North Carolina in Charlotte, to a guy in a hospital. And I was like, you know what, this is good. And I'm making good money doing, doing sales. I need to be on the baseball field. I need to be coaching kids that that's where, that's what I really felt like I was put on this earth to do was to design and execute transformational baseball experiences for kids. And so been doing that full time since, uh, since 2015.
0: I had a few former players that that work for Stryker and still work for Stryker and do very well in medical sales, but I had dabbled a little bit. I wasn't making much money at Western Illinois, and I had reached out a little bit, but talked to a doctor friend of mine, and he goes, Ryan, I'm just going to tell you this. He goes – There's going to be a day in the spring, you're going to be sitting in an operating room and you're going to look outside and it's going to be 75 degrees. You're going to be like, you wish you were on a baseball field right now. He goes, you don't need to go into, into medical sales at all. And totally, I mean, a lot, a lot of really
1: good athletes. Yeah. A lot of athletes go into medical sales for whatever reason. And they, they do really well with it. Um, I chose to take the path of being in baseball and, uh, and I, I don't regret it for a second. And it's, it's, I, I, love what I do. Um, my role in this world as a baseball guy has evolved and shifted over time, really excited about this next chapter, um, and helping build a better world through baseball, uh, really speedball has been my new Avenue, uh, which maybe we'll talk about, but, um, yeah, it's, uh, I'm grateful every day I get to be out on the field.
0: What about the foresters kind of nudged you to model legends after what the foresters were doing?
1: It was really community. That I love. I don't know if you know Bill Bill Pintard. He's the kind of legendary I know the coach. name of
0: the team because it seems like they're playing in the in the Wichita tournament every year. It seems yeah, like they, they go win to it Wichita every year.
1: They probably win it four to five years. It's just insane. Um, He's just an incredible recruiter, incredible person. It was really the community and just uh, that they put together. They did a lot of giving back, and I was like, man, like. I, I love the idea as much as I love being like affiliated with the school. If anybody's ever been affiliated um been part of summer collegiate ball, there's something about summer collegiate baseball that's really special. There's no parents involved, there's no grades, it's it's you're playing in front of big crowds often at times. Um, you coach camp during the day. It's pure baseball. And I absolutely loved it. So I started off the first few years when I was the player coach manager. I had my mom flipping burgers, my dad announcing the game, my brother coaching first base. I'm on second base, putting on steel signs, telling the guy to go warm up. And that's how it started. And then every year, and then after a few years, um, where we got pretty good. Uh, we joined the California Collegiate League. I coached in that league as the head coach. I obviously hung up the cleats eventually. And um, over those eight years, we've uh, we put through fifty professional players that moved on to Major League Baseball. Uh, three big leaguers we've had two Olympians, and we've got one guy uh, coaching in the majors right now. Um, so we've we've had some really cool outcomes. But uh, it's, it's more about like the relationships and the memories. Um, you know, during those times that I really think about.
0: And you and I are on the same page as far as helping youth baseball and making it more fun for kids, and, and you've done a good job with that with speedball. How did you come to the realization that I do need to make some modifications for what the younger kids are doing with the game?
1: Um, during COVID in Northern California, we were told that it was the beginning of COVID, right? Nobody knew what the heck was going on, Right. And we were told that we the only way that we can engage kids, youth programming legally within our county was that we had to stay in what they called stable pods of 12 kids for three weeks at a time. And so we had 12 kids in a pod during a summer camp and you signed up for three week sessions. And so we had to figure out how to play real baseball games with just 12 kids. So we, we did a bunch of trial and error. And what we figured out was like, Hey, okay, you know, I'm pitching on the mound. Well, then that's one player. Then we have eight on defense and then bases loaded plus a hitter. That's four hitters. Okay, well, let's go three teams of four rotating from hitting to three outfielders and a catcher to infield. And we just started playing with it. And I was like, wow, this really works. This is really fun. Kids are in small groups, they're getting tons of at bats, it goes super fast paced. We started to experiment with different rules. So then we took that and we, in the fall of 2019, we created, there was a crucible moment where I was like, all right, do I wanna go back to travel teams? I've just did five years of travel teams. I don't like it, I'm about to have kids. I don't wanna keep giving up my weekends to go you know, extend all weekend at a facility. I don't know if it's gonna work, but let me just try it. The worst thing that happens is it doesn't work. And we just go back to travel ball. So we did in the fall of 2019 and Ryan, it was so awesome. It, it looked, nut- we just called it four versus four versus four baseball. It was just the four versus four versus four baseball league. That's all it was. Gave them great jerseys. We had music out there and we just tried to do it up and, and take what essentially some might do in high school as like a scrimmage and just kind college of class too, it
0: when, when we were short, when we were short players, cause of class time or whatever, we would split them into three teams. You know, because two would have to play defense, one would hit, and then we would rotate the the two teams that play defense. One would go to offense, the other would go to defense, and that's how we would make it work when we didn't have enough players to field two teams, and that happened a lot. And honestly, that's how I – my youth practice plans that I sent out, the back end of that is after every kid hits, every defense rotates – and every kid runs the bases, it's very similar. And that youth temp- template's been with me for years, but it's the best way to do it for that age group of kids because it keeps them moving. They learn all the positions, and it's way more fun for them. There's a n- lot less standing around.
1: Oh, yeah. There's, I'll, I'll get into all the, the things that we've observed. But back to your original question, I, I want to give you the story that was the precursor to why I decided that I really did want to do this instead of travel ball. I think it was twenty eighteen, twenty seven or twenty seventeen or twenty eighteen. Living in San Francisco um, with my fiance at the time, or actually she was my wife at the time. And I had a nine year old travel ball team and I woke up at five thirty in the morning and drove all the way from the Marina of San Francisco all the way down to Sunnyvale to Twin Creeks to coach a nine year old travel team. And it was a Sunday morning. We had the eight eight a.m. game because um, we didn't do well in the seating the day before. And it's a double a team. We're fairly new um and i remember showing up and we have i look across the field and i got these coaches with pop bellies and handlebar mustaches and they're they're flipping soft toss to their kids and they're getting after and i'm like oh man I, I learned that they're a majors team and we're just a double a team and i'm like this is not going to be good um, we, the game starts and we just got absolutely destroyed. We didn't sign up for the majors division, but they didn't want to give refunds in order to keep the money, the, the game going. They they put us up there against this Grand Slam division. So we played, I think we might've ended, it must've been like 15 to two or something like that. So we got it in about an hour and then the kids are running out in the the top of the fourth inning and they called the game after an hour. And I just remember the kids, I felt so dejected and I felt so bad for these kids. I was like, all right, guys, like game's over. The families are out there drinking the coffee. It's like 9 a.m. They wanted to have a full day out at the yard. And I walked down a line and I just remember telling my, myself, this is not right. This is, this is not how it's supposed to be. This is not good for kids. It's not good for families. And I just don't want to be a part of this anymore. There's definitely a place for travel baseball. It wasn't for me anymore. I left the facility that day and I called my coach, Coach George. We call him fire flame. I was like, George, we will never set foot in a travel ball facility ever again, ever. And I haven't been I mean, back. If I'm a since. travel
0: youth coach, I'm bringing wiffle balls and wiffle bats with me, just in case something like that happens. Okay, we're gonna go to a side field here and play wiffle ball for a while. We'll let the we'll you even let the parents be, get involved. For we'll let the parents run out there with the kids and have a good time. Like just make it work, like because it happens a lot with with travel tournaments. And like you you have a whole day planned. All right, even if we go to a parking lot here and play wiffle ball for a while, let's just make it work because it happens a lot with, in the travel space
1: totally and, and I, for me i just decided that like again i, I was having kids and i didn't want for, like that doesn't i don't believe personally there's so many great things that kids should be doing holistic things playing outside being kids a diversified portfolio of different things giving up weekend after weekend the entire weekend and bringing your entire family out there um that wasn't something that wasn't something that i wanted to be involved in. so i was like man like is there another way there's Right now, there's only Little League or rec ball, and there's travel ball. Is there another way? Well, maybe maybe this speedball thing or this 4 versus four baseball could be it. And so fast Soccer's been again, doing
0: it forever. I mean, so- soccer's – Well,
1: basketball, basketball's basketball got three-on-three every tournaments. Every has,
0: has done it forever.
1: we got flag football. It's getting huge right now. Why is there nothing else out there? other than travel ball, tournament ball model, um, and and Little League. And I definitely think that in many areas, because I, I talk about this a lot, leagues are starting to pop up, which I'm excited about, because the leagues resemble what high school ball, professional ball uh, is like, college ball, where every single game matters. You work hard over a long period of time. To an end goal, And that's how life is, right, Ryan? Like you you work hard. You, you you can't just mail it in um throughout the course of the week. And then when the boss wants the presentation due, you got you got to turn it on all of a sudden. No, like you got to put your best forward foot forward all the time. Um and so i'm I'm far more passionate about finding new ways to engage youth and grow the game than what everybody else is doing. and And don't get me wrong, there is a time and a place for, Travel baseball, there's that will serve a certain subset of kids. But if you want a little bit more than Little League, you want some professional coaching and you want to have fun, you're not really ready for that travel ball experience yet, there needs to be a third option. I talk about it, the bell curve, right? Think of a bell curve. You got 15% on this, this elite end that are really good at baseball. They're, they're all about it. They know every rule they play catch all day, you know, go, go play travel ball. You know, that might be perfect for you. You got the 15, 20%, not really good at baseball. Not that interested can barely play catch in baseball and youth. Literally you got that 60, 70% in the middle. And that's where we really feel that speedball can be a great opportunity for engaging youth in this modern age in a new creative, fun way.
0: How would you define experienced designer and holistic coach? Cause I, I, love, I love those two terms, but
1: yeah. And experience. So I don't see myself as a coach, just a coach anymore. I feel like that title is pretty limiting. Now I look at myself as someone who designs immersive, meaningful, memorable, and transformational experiences for kids. So when you come to a legends speedball game, or practice, you're gonna see things or you just go throughout the, the arc of a season. You're gonna experience things that you you won't experience anywhere else. And so I've, I've studied experience design. I spent five days in a castle in Poland with experienced designers from Disney and Apple and Starbucks, studying this stuff to figure out how I can bring back these um, elements of experience design, the authors, the people who, who design Disney, um, and bring that to youth baseball. And so I sit there with my coaches and we map out what's working, what's not working. It's it's got some elements of the Savannah Bananas in there, I was I'll just will be, be honest, for remind. youth.
0: Have you read yeah. The Art of Gathering or Unreasonable uh, Hospitality?
1: I've not. I'll take that out. You need to read
0: those books cuz I because I mean we're in cool. that's what we're in with ABCA cuz the convention that's what it is. We're trying to make a a memorable experience for people. So those are two books that really spoke to me in the last 12 months, the art of gathering and then unreasonable hospitality, because they're, they speak to that piece of providing memorable experiences for people and, and unforgettable experiences. So I think with what you're doing, I think you would enjoy both of those books because it does speak to that, like making memorable experiences for people that want them to come back.
1: Yeah, totally. I just, I just wrote those down. Thank thank you for that. So, um, and as far as your other question about a holistic coach, it's helping your kids. they like, I've, I've developed a lot of great athletes out there. So all my coaches, all my coaches either coach college or high school, they've all played in college and beyond. Um, and we've, we're good. We're all good with that for, for me, it's more about how can I help my kids grow mentally, emotionally, and spiritually to be the best human beings that they can. And we do that by creating this immersive, fun first experience. And the crutch of it, the interesting part is that when you do all of those things and you serve your kids and you meet their needs as far as mental, emotional, spiritual, holistic growth and help them have fun, they will get better as ballplayers too. The The developmental piece will happen. And if they're loving the game of baseball, they will commit themselves Practicing on their own time and do the things that they need to do to actually develop real skills. But it starts with l- developing a deep love for the game of baseball, and that's what I feel Speedball and my coaches and my program does as well as anybody out there is is developing and generating a deep passion for playing this game, um, and we've we've got some unique ways that we do that.
0: So what? How has what you're doing with speedball how has that evolved from when you started doing it to now where it's at just from a gameplay. yeah standpoint.
1: so yeah gameplay so we sat there and were like with my coaches uh and we were like all right like give me all the craziest rules that you can think of that could potentially be more fun so we looked at things like a lot of savannah banana ish type stuff like all right we're going to run the bases backwards we're going to go no foul lines we're gonna um, have them hit at second base, and then use the home home plate area as a home run. Um, tons of trial and error, and we would call them wild card rules, and we would implement them every single weekend. And eventually, we figured out that the actual, the very basics work, and we have some new wild card, card wild card rules that just stick. So I'll give you I'll give you an example. Um, we give so you have two teams on defense, right? Because this is three-team baseball. It's not two teams of 12 or 13 where you have 25 to 30 kids on the field. We're talking 12 to 15 kids on the field. So immediately right there, you have 50% less mouths to feed when you have that little amount of kids on the field. And so one of our favorite rules that just stuck, and we, this is part of our Speedball League rule books now, is that if you turn a double play on defense or if you have a one, two, three inning, you get not one but two points for the defensive teams, two runs. So after you get two outs in a row, the whole defense, like in the announcers, like double play or a a, a two point bonus in effect. And so they're all focusing because they can get runs on defense. And then also like for the youth, like they oftentimes like God forbid, like a seven or eight year old team, they make a single play, but man, like they know that, wow, like I can actually get two runs if I get a double play. So now they're looking for the next play. And so this rule has just stuck with us. Um. We don't have so that's one of them. Uh, We don't have blowouts anymore, because if a team gets down six or by six or more runs, they get one opportunity to have what we call a six out inning. They get six outs and they get to score as many runs as possible until they get tied with that first place team and then they stop. And so it decreases uh, it increases parity and decreases blowouts. So. Uh, those are some of the things from a rule standpoint and game play standpoint that have changed over time. But really, it's the experience that's been evolving more so over time um, that I'm most excited about.
0: Do you get any pushback from parents on this? Like, okay, it's not traditional baseball. My kids should be playing traditional baseball. Do you get any pushback from parents?
1: The not really. the, the biggest The biggest pushback because as a parent, I wouldn't that...
0: care. My kids. I'm gonna look out and see my kids having a great time. Like that's all I care about. Is yeah.
1: <laughs> no, I mean. Not not really, but I would say the biggest point of contention that we get is that I personally believe that kids are pitching, doing kid pitch way too young.
0: I do too. And I, we don't. I say 10 and or 11 should be the earliest. Our, I say 10 our grand,
1: or 11. So, so we have four divisions. We have a uh, uh, hit and run is seven to nine, double plays, eight to 10, triple plays, uh, nine to 11, and then grand slam. That's if you are a minors all-star and you're 10 or you played majors this last year. That's the only kid pitch division. And we also do something called coach catch, which is super cool. Um, but the three younger divisions, it's all what we call pro pitch, where we have profesh- ex-college athletes like myself, professional pitchers that come in and they modulate pitch speeds and make it super challenging, but they're pumping strikes in there. And that's how we allow it, um, allow, uh, the kids to get 10 to 15 at bats a game. So back to your question, the biggest rub that we have is the parents are like, all right, my kid's nine. Like he just played kid pitch. I got to get him ready for the next level next year. What do we do? And I'm like, all right, well, we will work on pitching at practice. We'll do short boxes and, and little bullpen things and this and that, but what they what they're not going to get by developing on the mound while everybody else is standing there, pulling their hair out, they're going to get, they're going to play every position on the field. They're going to get tons of reps in the field. They're going to get 10 to 15 at bats. They're going to have fun. They're going to be out of breath playing baseball. So that's the biggest rub that we have is that we believe that this coach pitch or pro pitch Model is is, uh, is really the way it should, and in, in, it's a better way.
0: By the opinion. way, if you play a position and you can hit a target, eventually it's probably going to translate to the mound as you get older. Like, For sure,
1: yeah. Teach them to play really good quality catch.
0: There's a ton yeah. of really it, good big league pitchers that really didn't pitch until they were later. I mean, look at Kenley Jansen, who's a catcher. I mean, you, you can go down the laundry list of converted position players that are really good big totally. league pitchers. That yeah. never, and the, that and, never and also was foot on the mound.
1: Yeah. Just be a good athlete. And then also like, there's no arm care issues in, in speedball, even in the majors, cause like you just, you just pitch one, um, if one of your guys on your team doesn't want to pitch, you can pitch two innings, but you're just pitching one inning. Um, everybody gets a chance to pitch. That's that's, that's the rules. Um, and so there's no, and there's no ego. And this is a big thing for people that are listening to this because a lot of the, the model out there right now is that. I have a travel team and the measuring stick is hey all right we started off the season we're not winning games all right now we're winning games now we're winning tournaments great like that that is the measuring stick of how good our our team is um are they developing so they're winning games for us the measuring stick is are they having fun like are they are they having progressively more fun because it's all internal that what we have going it's we're not playing other programs out there. It's all within our own thing. So I don't care who wins and loses. I'm literally just trying to make sure that they get as many repetitions. They're supporting each other. They're having fun. They're learning about life. That's the measuring stick of success. And it's not winning. Um, and that's a really important difference to what is out there right now.
0: What does coach catch?
1: So <laughs> you probably experience at some level, uh, little Johnny putting on his gear and it just I like, we're waiting, I we're waiting. Of,
0: I caught till high school.
1: <laughs> it, 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 yeah. I was a catcher myself. Um, and then every pitch is going to the, the, the backstop and then, a, and then a walk or a single turns into a, basically a home run and it just is brutal. So what we do, um, we have done this at our triple play division. And if our grand slam division, we don't have enough catchers in the group. We'll just bring out a high school or college or just, or, or a coach throw them in gear put them behind the plate and now they're learning and they're just pitching to a coach. They're just pitching to a coach. He's sticking balls back there. He's, he's helping him. He's working with him, And it just allows things to go way faster because this is very much like what we're, it's, it follows the trend. We were just doing it before major league baseball. This is fast paced, action-packed baseball. It's not boring whatsoever. And having a coach behind the plate really speeds things up in between innings and during while the game's going itself.
0: So how how are you balancing practice time and then when you get, or is it blended? Are you blending practice time with when you guys are are going after it?
1: No, we, we do 30-man divisions, six teams of five, um, and we run them like high-level college practices, essentially, where just uh, small group rotations. will have five or six to one ratio out there. Um, We do everything outdoors. Uh, We're fortunate we live in Northern California. We'll we'll go indoors if it's bad weather. And uh, we do one one two-hour practice once a week and then games on weekend. And um, we just run super developmental practices. And then we have a whole bunch of life lesson curriculum that we incorporate into it.
0: Okay. And, and, you know, the thing we run into with youth baseball here is – We don't have high-level coaches. We have moms and dads that are trying to do this for the first time. Do you have anybody in an area that maybe doesn't have college, ex-college or ex-pro coaches that are running a, a speedball league?
1: Not right now. We've, um, we. have I'm very open about Cause that that that's my
0: I – love, I love the concept, but that, that's, you know, the devil's advocate part of me is like, okay, how can we get this to other areas? Because I'm thinking about Greensboro myself because rec baseball is dying in Greensboro, and I've met with the Parks and Rec director of Greensboro. I've taken him to lunch to try to get things fixed. And you can tell he's just kind of deflated because, obviously, in this area, travel baseball has taken over everything. But for me, this is something that could get more kids involved – and and take over the place of the rec piece and kids that aren't good enough to play travel baseball and i think it would be way more entertaining than than what they're going through right now so like that's in the back of my mind selfishly i want to try to take that and maybe move it out to here to to help greensboro because we have a large area we're in a big city but you don't see those rec fields being used
1: totally i'm uh matt blood he's a friend of mine he works for the player development for the orioles he's does he does a model of speedball within his little league. What you really need Ryan is you need one operator who really knows what they're doing from a game perspective and can throw strikes. He is that booming presence in the middle of the diamond. If you have one of those guys um, I have videos out there. I have the rules and things like that. Um, if is you that have on one your good operator, is that on your website? Uh, so the basic rules are the detailed rules. We don't, kind of publicly put them out there. But if anybody is interested in potentially starting something, reach out to me and we could we could Where's develop the best a conversation about you? it. Just look up um legendscamps.com or david at legendscamps.com. Um I think legendspeedball.com there's a webinar on there as well where you can see a 30-minute um breakdown of how we design and offer this experience. Um, And then from a practice perspective, I'd certainly think if you have that one good operator, and you, and you meet 30 minutes beforehand with a bunch of well-intentioned moms or dads. And you say, Hey, here's, you know, this is the ground ball station. You're going to go 10 minutes. You're going to teach this. You're going to go through it slow. Then you're going to compete. And then here's the hitting station. And you just rotate through as long as you have that good ratio and there's not kids standing around. I certainly think with, um, well-intentioned, uh, parents and volunteers, you can create something's pretty special.
0: I need to get you to our youth summit in November. Yeah, I'd love to. So we run it in DC. Uh, Rob Haney runs it, but I need, I need to get you there. It's like the week before Thanksgiving, but I, I need to get you there because this is stuff that needs yeah. to be discussed in that meeting. Cause again, we're trying to brainstorm ways to help wreck travel and to help everything. And I think this would be a way to bridge the gap with all of that. So it's again, we're doing some really exciting things on the youth and travel committees that I think this would be another added benefit for, for our youth. Community. Cool.
1: Yeah. I, I, I love talking about, it. I love sharing, um, because i've seen the impact that it makes on kids that had a really rough and by the way i'm a big little league proponent i am too we don't even I, I am we too. don't we don't even offer ryan we i will not let people do we don't do like our own private speedball stuff during little league season like we want i believe that parents should be engaged well like this is a beautiful time right like coaching your own i'm coaching my son's t-ball team right now um but I do think that elements of speedball can and should be considered and potentially incorporated into uh, into little leagues. And I do think by 2025, 2030, I think a version of speedball, three-team baseball, where there's less kids out there and it's fast-paced, much like what they're doing at the major league level, I think it's going to trickle down to youth, too. We're just uh, we're just kind of the early ones doing it.
0: Because that's what Rob Haney does in D.C. His T-ball league, it's only six, six-man teams for his T-ball league. So there's only six kids so, on a so team. So cool which is great. Yeah. So they've modified everything. It's it's a six person it's six team. It's way easier on the coaches. Uh, they usually get like three innings in in an hour so the parents are happy. They're done in an hour, but they get three innings in because there's only six kids batting and so it just it's found way way better yeah. for them with the T-ball league.
1: Totally. What what I'd love to see from Little League eventually and we we've talked to them a little bit is uh is is having some some standards so that they, they offer resources for little league coaches to actually do that because the, the resources out there can be a little bit limited. And I, I think there's some really good best practices out there about how we can quicken the game up, make it more fun, more enriching, more meaningful for these kids of nowadays, because the kids that today, they're just, they're just different and it's okay. It is what it is. And, but we, we, as the experienced designers can design the experience a little bit different.
0: And again, how do you how do you temper parents? You know, again, I think it's more the parents than the kids now of of the scoreboard. Of you know, you know, parents now they think the scoreboard is extremely important for eight, nine, ten year olds. I don't think it's that important. I think the development. Yeah, is so we important.
1: we get a little bit of that, but most of the parents that sign up for speedball, they really trust in in me and my vision and and they understand the values that that this is about fun first it does get a little bit more serious but at the at that grand slam majors level but on the most part we've done a really good job of keeping because we make the teams ourselves we allow them everybody is allowed to you're guaranteed to that you get one friend that you are that you buddy up with and you play with that friend because we mapped the experience with some empathy mapping and we learned that kids want to play with their friends so course, we're going to let them play with their friends, um but because we make the teams, we very, very rarely had a team that gets destroyed all the time. It's pretty even. That's throughout, a and then we have model too.
0: I mean, it, yeah, my little league had a draft. The yeah, the little
1: coaches. league draft is super problematic. It's um because we're relying on. There's it's super political, and we're relying on these these parents who, um, you know, they they you know, they don't, they don't know, they don't know how to evaluate talent. They're oftentimes just picking their buddies and then it just, there's issues there. And then I'm glad you said that. Cause gets-
0: I, I always like getting checked on that. Cause again, I, I know, I don't know everything. And so I, I like when people check me on that. Cause I, I like with different views and that's something that I don't always think about, but it does make sense. Cause you do think about like, yeah, the, the draft, uh, was kind of rigged for our little league team. I I mean, I (laughs) honestly
1: think the draft is like – We didn't
0: lose my 11- and 12-year-old year, year, but a lot of that had to do with the roster that we had. Kevin Hardy was a linebacker for the Jags eventually. Robbie Kent was a shortstop who played shortstop at Arizona State and Notre Dame, and then our first baseman was our best pitcher but played with me at Evansville. And then I ended up so. We basically had four division one athletes and a couple pro athletes on that little league team, which is why we kind of mopped up. Totally. I,
1: I mean, I think the drafts, like I can see the temptation because like I play fantasy sports, but it's like, we're treating these drafts, these little league drafts like a fantasy baseball team. For I, and kids. I've tried
0: to talk to some of my friends back in Evansville. Cause there's one team in that league that boat races, everybody and a buddy of mine runs that team. And I'm like, Hey, this isn't fun for anybody. Like, and, and by the way, nobody cares what your little league coaching record is. Like, you're you're not going into the hall of fame for your little league coaching record. Like, so if you just pound the other teams that you play and doesn't mix guys in off the bench and it's like, Hey, you're doing those kids a disservice. Like you got kids on your little league team that for the entire summer have gotten three or four at bats. Like that's not helping anybody.
1: Yeah. No, it's it's crazy. I mean, I, I think that um, I've done these. I work, I work with a ton of little leagues. I do coaches clinics for all the little leagues out here. And what I talk about with them when they bring me in to consult or whatever is that bring in a a third-party evaluator, and I have a good model that I've often done, have them rank all the kids, and then take a handful of trusted parents, like two to three of them, and you guys make the teams yourself. You know, I think that's potentially a better way to do it. But I know a lot of the parents on the board and stuff. They just love getting together and having beers and treating it like a fantasy draft. And that might be fun for them, but I don't necessarily think it creates the best situation for our kids, which is really what this is all about.
0: So outside the little league season, then when are you guys going? I mean, when are we go in
1: the fall? We go big in the fall and the winter. Uh, summer, we have a really cool, very similar elements of experience design and execution go into our summer camps, but we're really big in the fall and winter re- uh, leading up to Little League season. We find that those who play, um, especially in that winter, going right into Little League season, I mean, they are in peak shape going yeah, into that's that odd. Little League it's like, season.
0: It's like spring training, basically, for them to it, get ready yeah, for their Little League totally. season. Yeah,
1: totally. Yeah. So that that's when we like to do it. Then we just kind of shut down and we do coaches clinics and stuff like that in the spring and help the little leagues and try to make those those little leagues better.
0: Many of those kids playing other sports?
1: Oh yeah, for sure. It's it's designed to allow kids to play other sports and do other activities. So it's twice a week, but it's very dense. Uh, meaning that, like, you're getting literally 15 at bats in an hour and 45 minutes with our pro pitch, coach pitch divisions. And then those practices, too, like, it, we are right into it, and you're getting a ton of activity in those two hours. And then um, well, I do, I believe that uh, it is part of the experience. We engage our kids a lot off the field, primarily through video and at home challenges. So I wrote this little handbook behind me. It's called the legends life playbook. It's one, uh, challenge every week. And if you complete the challenge, these are all like lesson type things, goal setting, developing pre-pitch routines, meditating, eating right, sleeping, right, developing certain friendships, looking at balance leadership lessons, watching baseball. Um, you get, uh, do I have any of them around here? I don't think so. You get a legends token. It's a wooden token. You, you get these tokens, for being a good teammate, doing the Legendary Life Playbook. You redeem these tokens at the games for prizes. It's just the fun. It's just fun. And uh, it, and it. But then I send these videos uh, through an app that I use called mm-hmm, mmhmm. It's like a Zoom or Loom recording, but like I'm sitting in the slides and I engage the entire family with certain things, like, for instance, reset strategies like baseball is really hard. Um, kids need to learn how to self-regulate themselves. So we have a list of ten self-regulation reset strategies that kids can um implement in their games um to help them reset when they struck out and they're crying or they're standing in right field and they're pouting you know the parents we have a shared language this is the reset button right here you come to the games you know little bobby's crying out in right field you see mommy out there hey bobby reset button you see him take off his hat look at the inside of the bill of his cap take a few deep breaths, and he gets his mind right. So we engage the entire family through video. Um, and we learned that that's a really powerful way when you can create shared language and, and create a whole family system around supporting this child. And so we hear a lot about our Speedball program about how not only did it just help our little kid have fun, it actually helped their whole family. Yeah,
0: love it. What are some other practices that maybe need to be adjusted with the younger kids that you're seeing?
1: Um, I think that, well, a, there needs to be, uh, coaching resources for little league coaches in general. They're just kind of thrown to the wolves. Like most little, like there's no videos out there. Like they need that. But I also think that we get so, uh, we get so stuck on, like, we got to win. We got to drill them into the ground. Like we got to grind. And, um, my practices typically start by sitting in a circle and I call it the campfire and I started it during covid after the kids were online from 9 to 3 p.m and then they come to me and they're masked up and i'm going to put them right through a bunch of drills and like like that college level high level practice when are they going to have time to just be kids and just play and talk we open up we create space for them in this what i call this campfire for them. And we do fun things. We'll play telephone. We'll uh, set goals. We'll self-reflect on the last game. We'll do uh, one word stories. We'll play two truths and a lie. And we start and, end every practice in the campfire where we set intentions at the start and we self-reflect at the end. And I find that it's, it's a really powerful, um, way to engage your teams. Um, so that, that's just, that's just one of the things that, that we do that I find is really powerful and super important.
0: That's one of my tips. When I go on the circuit and I speak to coaches, you know, it's, you need to have a transition into practice, but you also have to have a transition out of practice because there's so much stuff going on in the outside world. You have to allow your athletes to have that transition from the real world to now practice time, but now transition back out from from play time or training time back out into the real world. So I love the campfire Idea. It's awesome because you're, you're allowing them to transition in, but then you're allowing them to transition back out into the real world too, which is great.
1: Yeah. Um, one of the other things, um, from an experience design standpoint that I think is unique that we do is, uh, and I always think about this quote, uh, repetition is the death of memory. And so if there's a goal to create a memorable transformational experience for kids, But every day that we get out there, we roll out, we put on our cleats. All right, guys, go touch the foul pole, come back, dynamic warm up and throw. Is that memorable? Uh, I don't know. Like, I don't think so. It's the same thing every single time. It's like driving to work every day. You're not going to remember that drive to work. We're trying to create a memory here. We're trying to make it transformational. Like... So my coaches, every day we have a different practice starter that's completely bonkers and off the walls and oftentimes very different. And we'll all sometimes start with it, we'll sometimes end with it, but we want everything to be completely different. And I I we don't we don't go and rush to touch valve poles. We don't do dynamic warmups and our throwing programs are different also. Um because what do you that's do for memorable. warm-up then?
0: I mean, what what, what are you doing? We, we run by...
1: we we typically run um For the younger kids, we'll play games, like playground games. We'll play sharks and minnows. We'll play chaos, chaos tag, blob tag. Um, We'll do base races. So we'll do things like, so we'll do things like straight up, like just getting them sweating and moving because these kids, and I, and I talk about this online and people are like, no, like they're seven, they need to learn to like stretch properly and dynamic. I'm like, they're not going to do it right anyways. And they'll learn that stuff later on. Like, I promise you they'll, they'll learn it later. Like, let's just get them sweating and having fun. So we do a lot of base running stuff um, competitions to get them started, to take the edge off a little bit. And then playground games, like I said, like blot like chaos, tag sharks and minnows, uh, we have a really cool, like Rochambeau type competition, um, fun ways that also oftentimes teach life lessons at the same time. So we're, t- we're not speaking to them about life lessons. We are having them experience the lessons in a game itself.
0: Is there anything, you, if you could go back and start over on this, is there anything you would change in the beginning? For speedball? Yeah.
1: Not really, because I think that it all... Because it's all trying out and uh, all, experimentation needed, anyway. Yeah. It yeah. all needed to, to take this necessary evolution. I would say the one thing that I've had to get really comfortable with, Ryan, is that... Uh, I I get as much pleasure and joy and fulfillment, and I look for coaches who get as much pleasure and love and joy and fulfillment from taking the seven or eight-year-old kid who's not very good at baseball, not even that interested in baseball, and making him into a very solid, interested stud ball player. Like, That is so cool. That's why I like working youth
0: camp still. That is the reason why I still love working youth camp is because of for that reason is hopefully they come out of that camp and they want to continue to keep doing baseball because they've had they've enjoyed being around me for the time that they've been with me.
1: And I, I look for coaches that can really, that have that bone and not every coach has that bone and that's okay. And some coaches, they just want to, you know, coach elite level baseball and help kids move on to the next level. And that's fine. But that, but to me also a little bit, that's like, all right, like I'm a teacher, but I'm only going to teach smart kids or kids that are like Ivy league bound. Like, Hmm. I, I, I love, I love the idea of, of taking kids who just are not very good at baseball or not even interested in like making them obsessed with it. Like, that's so awesome. So I look for the And coach, by the way, when like you that.
0: look at the research, it's usually it, it's it's the teacher and coach's perception of their students or their athletes that matters the most. So if you attack it as a coach or a teacher that every one of your players or or students is elite, it's amazing what happens to those kids. Where okay that, that's re- that's really interesting. It, yeah. It, yeah. I can't remember the name of it. It's got it's something effect. Uh, I want to say it might be the Pygmalion effect. So basically, they did a research project in the '60s. Came out of Stanford. Stanford's done some phenomenal research, but they did a, a classroom research with Stanford. And so they went into the classroom, and um, I have a psych background, but they went in the classroom and they told the, the teachers that they were going to test their students, and they're going to give them the survey, and they're going to come back and tell them who the elite kids were in their class. So they they did the the psychologists did the tests. They came back to the teachers and they said, hey, these five students are your elite students in your class. The survey was, was made up. It was false. It didn't say anything. So they, that's the great thing with psych projects is basically what you think they're testing is not what they're testing to, to throw off the biases. What they found totally. after the class is those five students performed better than the rest of the class, regardless of what their aptitude was before the class had started. So what they found, it was actually just the teacher's perception of those students that made all the difference in the world because the teachers thought they were elite. So they gave those kids a little extra time. So again, as a teacher or coach, treat all of your players or or, or students as if they're elite and gifted. And you'll be amazed at probably the results that you get out of a little kid.
1: Yeah, that that's that's really powerful. And I, I, I think we... I think all programs, so we also, uh, we don't cut anybody, Ryan, we, we take every player. If, even if you're a beginner up till about 11 years old, we'll take every player. And I talk about it a lot online and and people say like, well, not everybody like can do that. And I I get it. Like you, you know, you, you don't have as, you can't take every player. You don't have enough coaches. You don't have enough fields, enough time, but I, I really, anybody listening to this, I, I I hope I can inspire you. To maybe create a portion of your organization, which is for kids from disadvantaged backgrounds or for kids like, like a starter program or like a first timer program. I, I just, I think, I think there needs to be more of that in this world where we're offering great coaches to kids that are not considered great because right now that talent gap is just getting wider and wider because we're only, we're taking these early developing seven, eight, nine-year-olds and then those guys Who just developed earlier their parents played the most catch with them those guys are getting access to these really good coaches um and then that talent gap just gets super wide and then that little league experience just gets generally it's it's less fun for everybody involved but we can narrow that talent gap by giving opportunities to everybody
0: i'm working with a 10 year old in town um a coach told his mom he started too late and he shouldn't be playing baseball so she told me that i was like i'll work with him
1: yeah so we're we're working one-on-one
0: because uh, and i was like "That, that that guy should not have told you that if he's passionate about it, he'll figure it out at some point. So I was like, yeah, I'll work with him because I was like, that guy should have never told your kid that he's really likes baseball. He loves it. Is he behind? Yes, but he's only 10. Yeah. There, there's a lot never of years really... between. <laughs> it's only 10. Yeah. I
1: suppose there can be a too late, like come 13, 14, he never I... picked up a ball. Like it's going to be tough to make your high school team, I... but like, like if you're if you're like athletic and like you like sports, like you can pick up a ball at ten eleven and and, and start start to figure it out. You'll be you fine. Know?
0: And and you know I gave I gave him and his mom wiffle balls, tennis balls. I'm like, hey, I'll work with him. I'm like, but a lot of what he needs to do is throw a tennis ball off the wall and and learn some self mastery. And I'm like, I'll continue to work with him, but. Here's this equipment you can throw to him, throw a wiffle ball. I know you don't want to get hit with a baseball, but throw a wiffle ball in the backyard to him. He'll start to figure things out, and I'll continue to work with him. But if he really Really? likes it, he's going to want to go outside. And so I do check in with her every once in a while. I'm like, is he doing stuff on his own? She's like, yeah, does it every day, goes outside. Yeah, it does it every day. I'm really
1: I'm really glad that you're doing that. And then watching baseball, too. Like these, the kids need to be watching more baseball. It helps when you have a parent. I got a five and a half year old. His name's Jackson. He, uh, you know, he, he my loves son's baseball. Jackson. I sit with them. And, oh, is Jackson, my my, mine's Jack's J-A-X, J-A-X. Um, so just Jack's. But yeah, these J names are they're big. That's that's a funny coincidence. Uh, but yeah, I sit with them and we just we just watch baseball. And I'll quiz him and, and talk about it. And he loves like figuring out who's winning and losing. And it's it's a it's a, it's a really fun thing.
0: Do you have a fail-forward moment? Do you have something that you thought was going to set you back, but looking back now, it, it helped you kind of push forward?
1: I had a really difficult time coaching at the high school level, Ryan. Uh, I just – I I saw myself as a you know former college player, college coach, coming in there, and I virtually installed a college-style team into the high school program that I had. And if you were a really good player and really into baseball, you, you loved me. It was a public high school in a very, very affluent community. And I was under a microscope at every moment. And, uh, there's just a lot of complaining and, and, um, a lot of parental involvement. What is it about wealthy
0: parents, man? What is it?
1: Yeah. I don't know what it is. I went to Catholic Uh, high
0: school, but it was a blue collar Catholic high school. Like we had some rich kids in high school but 80% of us were blue collar kids. So it wasn't, it wasn't the same as what some of the other coaches have to deal with.
1: Like I I have a very, as you can probably tell, I have a new school mindset and approach, but like an old school work ethic and upbringing where like we did weights, we did, we did um, we did, you know, mental training. We did all the things like, like every, every second on that field was treated like gold. And like, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe I was too intense. Right. But, um, you know, I did three years there then it was, it was my time to go and move on. And I would say that it, from the outside, it probably looked like a failure, but I learned so much about how to better engage Gen Z and the youth of today through that experience. That was, uh, that was, that was my most difficult coaching experience to date. I I simply I get a lot of fulfillment out of coaching youth. Now I've coached I coached college for eight uh, eight to 10 years. I'm still we have a college team still. And I love that also because I love summer collegiate ball. But there's something about um, designing experiences for youth to grow that is really firing me up right now.
0: Yeah, I love asking that question. And everybody's had to answer it. Anybody that's been on here has had to answer that just because we've gotten so many good answers. And it really is just about perspective. And You know, the the universe, you talked about spirituality, like for me, like what you think maybe should have happened at the time, it may, may have not worked out for you, but you look back a year down the road, two years down the road, five years down the road, you're like, okay, that happened exactly the way it was supposed to happen. And so that's why I like asking that question. Yeah. you You know, at the time you don't always get it, but you look back later on, you're like, okay, that happened exactly how it was supposed to happen. I didn't realize it at the time, but the universe, had different plans for me and it's way better than what I thought it was going to be at the time.
1: Yeah. I think, I think most people, especially coaches who really are self aware have those moments, um, for sure. I mean, I, I wouldn't be where I am today and have the approach and perspective that I have. If I didn't go through that high school coaching experience, um, and so you know i think about it a lot and there was also a lot of and probably there's probably some coaches out there that can relate um my my ending there wasn't necessarily a positive one and there's still a lot of pain there uh where there's a lot of you know i was weaving a tapestry of relationships with kids and families and community and um and a lot of those those ends were really frayed um and i still keep in touch and have positive relationships with a lot of them but um you know it, uh, you know you, you make mistakes and you move on i don't really think i made yeah, you know, a big mistake. I, I, I did the best that I could with the knowledge that I had at the time. Um, but I've certainly learned I learned a lot from that experience for sure.
0: I think there's a false narrative out there with the younger generation when they say find your passion. I think it takes yeah. you a long time to find your passion. I think there's a lot of trial and error to find your passion. I think this generation of kids just thinks they're going to it's going to fall in their lap you better work a bunch of different jobs. You better work a bunch of different things, meet a bunch of different people. And then you might run into what your passion is. But I think that's just a false narrative now with the younger generation. They think that they're just going to run into a a job that they really like. And they're going to be able to roll with that for the rest of their life. I just, for me, it's not a thing. Like I'm glad I worked a million jobs that I worked Before I got to the job that I'm in now, I love the job that I'm in now. I'm passionate about it. I was passionate about coaching, but I wouldn't be in this position if I hadn't coached college for as long as I did or worked in a restaurant in high school or done all the million things that I did before I've gotten to be 48. I just think it's a false narrative right now with, with the generation that's coming out.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, find what you're good at. Like what, what are you good at? What is the combination of what you're good at, what you like doing? Um, where you feel you can grow what you could, but and then go with that. But then try trying different things. Uh, I think that's a huge, a huge thing. And I think any parents out there listening like, yeah, like put your kids to work early. One of the things that I love love doing is uh, a lot of the kids that age out of our program, we we put them in, you know, and we put them to work um, either volunteer internships or paid internships. And uh, again, like I'm all about coaching youth, but like there's other things that are firing me up. I love coaching coaches. I love giving young adults their first job. I, I find it so cool to see someone age out of my program. They're 13 or 14 and then having them run like our six to eights during camp. Like what a cool thing for them to, to learn and experience. And for me to watch them go through the program and now give back to other kids. So yeah, I mean, work experience is massive. Um, and, and I do agree with you that it, giving it, it's, back it's hard is to make a huge
0: money. one to giving back. Like I, people don't realize until you really have done it, invested in giving your time or resources everybody thinks like donations money-wise some people can't afford that give your time like if you can't afford to donate money then give your time you'll be amazed at how much better you feel i actually uh we have a a company here in town that feeds the homeless um it's called helping hands and um they feed the homeless uh every sun uh the last sunday of every month but i dumb luck to help them um friends of mine were like hey this company this foundation needs help I'm like with what they're like they need to take donations at the Bruce Springsteen concert and I was okay, like yeah. I'm in if it's a free ticket yeah. to go watch Bruce Springsteen I'm in and awesome. yeah. I loved it I had a box I was taking donations and the people that are working with were like how are you having so much fun doing this I was like well I coached 22 years of college baseball and we didn't have any money at the places I coached so I got really good at asking people for stuff, so I had yeah. a great time. Yeah. We raised like $30,000 for this foundation at the Bruce Springsteen concert because it was a sellout, and um, that's actually one of Bruce Springsteen's deals that he does when he travels. He gets with either a food bank or somebody in town, and he allows them to come to his shows, and then he made an announcement at the end, and um, it's actually a really gratifying experience, besides getting to see Bruce Springsteen, but it was gratifying because – Again, you're helping feed people that need it. And we have a large homeless population here in in Greensboro just because the weather's so nice. We have a very large homeless population here in Greensboro. Yeah.
1: I think that we get very, I think our, our society in America um, different than Eastern society, we've become very individualistic and we, you know, we want to become elite and we gotta, we gotta grow. We gotta uh, be, you know, the best versions of ourselves and excel in school and be a, and, and all these things. And we get so programmed and we, and we're insulated on our phones and we forget that they're, that we are so fortunate. I mean, we live in an incredible country. I was just having a session with my guys, um, this past weekend and we're in Northern California, beautiful area they all have beautiful homes. and their parents drive nice cars and they have food and they have opportunities and they're going to private schools. They're on this, they great team. And like there's people don't have that everywhere. And I think opening your kids up to that, is a huge thing because right on the other side of the tracks in my town there's there's kids that have none of that and there's 10 people living in a house the size of their living room um and so giving your kids the opportunity to see that um and have them help and make an impact and get involved beyond their own little world i, I think it's one of the greatest gifts that you can give um i um to a kid i have a balance wheel in my playbook where i um there's it's uh, I have them do this balance wheel. And they turn it in, the parents got to sign it. They get a token if they do it. And usually on that balance wheel. And I say, if that wheel is oblong or, um, is not fully symmetrical, that, that balance wheel actually, if it's rolling down a hill, it'll start to wobble and crash. And it's usually community that is usually suffering the most or giving back community involvement and giving back that most of the kids I've seen, at least in my community nowadays don't have. And I think it's really powerful. And
0: that is an Eastern philosophy, too. I mean, they are still built on community. I I mean, I've seen those videos in Japan where the little kids are on the train by themselves, but they have like yellow ribbons on. So like the adults in the community know if a kid is has yellow ribbon on, they're by themselves getting to where they need to get to. But there's like videos of like seven year old kids going to the grocery store to get stuff. But like it's it's community based. And when you talk about spirituality, I mean, are you you talking more Eastern? Because I I tend to go more towards the Eastern part of the world for the spirituality piece than I I do to the Western part of the world. That's just my personal opinion. Again, I'm not here to talk about religion or faith or any of that, but I do. Yeah, I I think uh, the, the Eastern part of the world than I do the Western part of the world for spirituality.
1: Pay attention to like the content online. Like there's so much stuff out there, like baseball content, right? There's so much stuff out there about, like, development, how to hit, and this and that. There's some stuff out there on culture, but, like, there's not enough stuff out there about the importance of the team. Like, working together, loving your brother, your sister, and working together towards a common goal to be successful. And we get so obsessed about, like, our statistics and... Um playing time and are we are we getting seen and this and that? And and uh it's really it it's all about the team. It should be always be all about the team. Um and it's this whole idea of like minor league versus men uh, minor league versus major league mentality. I feel like today, more so than when I was growing up playing baseball, there's often times where kids, maybe they're they're like a high school team, they're silently, I think rooting against their it's this minor league mentality because these people are their competition, just like in the minor leagues, like this guy's playing well, this other second baseman, I'm rooting against them because he's going to get bumped up. Well, as opposed to the major league mentality where they're, you know, they're going to make more money or whatever, do better when their team does better. We need more major league mentality. um, And it's up to the coaches to develop bonded.
0: teams to create that's a parents thing too. That's where a parent has to check that thinking in the house. Mm-hmm. You know, cause that, that, that it comes from the coaches, but also be reinforced by the parents. Once they get, once they get home and they start talking where it's like, Hey, you know, it's about the team. Did the team do well? Are you helping the team? Like that, that's where a parent can help that process too. And check, check a kid's thinking.
1: For sure. I think, you know, good, good questions and, you know, cheering everybody on um, and, you know, a, a good lessons at home, but we can't control what happens at home a lot of the time. I mean, we can educate our parents a little bit, but I think, great coaches of nowadays are and we hear a lot of them speak at the abca they talk a lot about culture um you know mike bianco he is, is uh to, to lead off last year's abca talked a lot about humans and the team and the character and how they pulled for each other and there's a reason like i'm I'm a Giants fan. Um, there's a reason why, like, I think it was the 2010 Giants. They were like completely outmatched by the Tigers with Verlander and Surzer and those guys. There's but no
0: way that team shouldn't just, have won. The Tiger, the Tigers should have won that they
1: week. were so much better, right? The Giants had that magic factor. They just
0: Presuposed. played
1: together as a team. And that can be done at the youth level too. That totally can. I don't know if it's going out together for post game meals or just sitting in campfire and sharing and just developing a love for one another and making it way less about your own stats and your own performance. And it's everything about the team. Like nothing drives me more nuts when I see a, uh, at the high school level, primarily it was when, and I'd see this all the time, like, Oh, how'd the game go be like, yeah, we lost, but I did great. Yeah. Or, you know, like they. That's terrible. Like My high school you, coach would. Yeah, like, man, cut
0: like no. You, you would have got cut by my high school coach if you talked that way. <laughs> and mean, they, they wouldn't have you. <laughs> you
1: wouldn't explicitly Right, oh, for sure. Won a you, lot you of wouldn't, games they don't too. Necessarily, Yeah, totally. They don't explicitly say that, but like I, I felt like that was happening a lot where it's like it didn't really matter if we won or lost, like it was, like it's all about me. It's all about how I did and it, I for me it's like I don't care about how I did. Like did I help my team win? Did I help my team win? And good coaches will Teach kids that there's more than you can do than getting hits to help your team wins in something so simple. All my kids, and it's part of my playbook, know about quality at bats. Like you should know the eight different ways that you can have a quality at bat. You can go 0 for three, but if you move runners over, you got on base, you drove up pitch count, that's a quality at bat. And then there's other things too, cheering on your team, helping warm up people, giving high fives, like all these things need to be glorified and um by the coaches of nowadays, in my opinion.
0: Do you have any evening or morning routines that are pretty set for you that you like? I mean, you're a high-energy person. You're doing a lot. Do you have any evening or morning routines that are set for you? I, you know, I
1: you I, you got, I, I got try. young kids, I, it's, so it's, it's hard oh with young God. kids. I tell people, you know how it is, right? I'm like, don't
0: look at me at a, as a 48-year-old with a 20-year-old and a 17-year-old. Like, when they were little, like, my routine, I was just white-knuckling it, trying to make it, sure they survived.
1: Be, before, before I had kids, um, there's the Miracle Morning book. They use the the word savers, silence, affirmations, visualization, exercise, reading, scribing. I would try to tap into numerous of those. Now I wake up, and my son's by my by my bedside, so it's it's almost. But you know, yeah, what? But that's I a moment. That's
0: a moment to savor, though. Like you oh, know, awesome. and, and I, I, I I think I think that that people lose sight of that. That that's a moment to savor because those moments do go extremely fast. So I think even if that's like, okay, he's, he's there with me, and I, I'm, I did an awful job of that as a parent. Like I didn't savor those moments when my kids were little because I was focused on coaching and, and that piece, so I think I did an awful job. Luckily, my wife is a saint, and she did a great job with our kids, but I think I was extremely focused on what I was doing with our team where it was hard for me to separate what I was doing with our team and recruiting and all of that. And then the family time. So I probably could have done a much better job with that. I'm trying to make up time for that with my, my kids now, uh, like going to the blue it's, Ridge it's really, and, and it's... hike with my 20 year old. But I, you know, I, I think that's part as a young parent of try to savor those moments because they're fleeting and they go extremely fast.
1: Yeah, no, I, well, well, I, I hear you. And, um, I, you know, I, I, I really value those moment those out that hour in the morning that I get to wake up and yeah, like I'll try not to check my phone and I'll just sit there and we'll make pancakes. Like I did this morning, I'll drink a, i will drink I usually try to drink a few tall glasses of water, take some probiotic, um, drop my son off at school, have a good conversation with him. Don't respond to anything. Connect with my wife at that time. Go, I get right to the gym, um, five days a week right now. Uh, well, know, good for occasionally you. Occasionally that. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I'll, and occasionally I'll miss, I got there this morning, but, uh, five days a week, no matter what, just take care and care of me at the end of that. Um, I try to get a good sweat. I try to meditate for just a few minutes or have a few minutes of silence. And then I basically just get to work. Um, and then hey, when, when you I, sit down I,
0: to meditate, what are you, are you just silent with your meditation? Are you doing any five senses stuff? Cause I, I always start with five senses where it's what I hear what I see with my eyes closed, taste, touch, feel. And then yeah. and then I try to blend all five together. And then I do have a mantra, but it, I did not have a mantra forever. I mean, I started with, with Headspace, really, that's where. I was doing totally. some progressive muscle relaxation techniques for a long time because I did them as the, a player. But then when Headspace came out, that was really my first guided meditations that I had gone through what was Headspace, yeah, I met it. and now I'm to the point where I can actually do it by myself um you know I, I think people totally. get sideways with it you don't have to spend a lot of time doing it like I'll do an afternoon no, that, one every once in a while it's 3 to 4 minutes close my eyes
1: I I right before this podcast the last thing I did I closed my eyes for like 3 minutes and I was like I was visualizing the listeners I was getting still I was I was just thinking about how I wanted to show up and then the last thing I do is is just I want three breaths where I'm just focusing on my breath. Like if you can just commit to three, just three where like you, you're totally in the moment. And then if I do that, then I can move on. And that's that's how I ended right before I came on the show. Um, but yeah, it. it's a practice. And I'm way more um, creative
0: by doing it. I've told the people that I'm way yeah. more creative when I come out of my when I sit in the mornings, when I come out of that. I have ideas, whether it's podcast guests, or I just have way more ideas. I'm way more creative since I've been sitting down. It's been pretty consistent for about six years now where I've sat down every morning. Yeah. That's the first thing. No, good,
1: good for you. Um, it's hard, I've done, though. I'm, it is good.
0: so hard. There's so much going on. But I, I can tell when I'm starting to slide on my routine and where I need to get back. That and drinking more water. Those have been meditation yeah. and drinking more water have been life-changing for me.
1: And it doesn't need to be like a whole, like sit down, like 20, 30 minute no. thing. A few minutes could work. Um, I encourage any of listeners out there to look up Alan Jaeger. He's a good friend of the ABCA and an awesome dude. And, he does some late night sessions every ABCA and, uh, um, and he will, by going through some stuff with him, you can better, and he does some stuff with sheets too. Like you can learn how to equip your athletes with meditation and then blend that with visualization too.
0: We do it. in youth um, camp. Bro- I do it with you camp. Yep. I- oh, you can do it with kids I- as
1: young as there's, there's not a. There's not an age that's too early, I've decided. You can go with six, seven-year-olds. I swear to God. Like they they actually like it. I'll I'll put them in the, they've all been Oracle Park out here with Giants play. I'll put them in the box. I'll get them really calm, have them tap into their sentence. I'll put them in the box, uh, uh, tap into their senses. I'll put them in the box at Oracle Park, have them start in the on-deck circle to get their name called. And th- they've never been brought through something like that before. Then you ask them to self-evaluate after that. And I'm like, oh, like I really saw like the seams coming out of his hand. And like I smelled like the, the popcorn. Like it was so cool. Like I, I can't believe I hit like a double off of the Reds pitcher. Like it, it's a pretty cool thing because I think v- visualization is is such an untapped. Um, method for helping kids grow and develop and, and, and be a high performer. And
0: and adding breathing into your game routines. Okay. If you're dealing with a kid who's kid pitched for the first time, have them take a deep breath after they get their sign, deep breath, go through your delivery. Same thing. Take a deep breath before you get in the box. You can do that with a six-year-old and I've done that in camp settings with six-year-olds is okay. We're going to talk about getting in the batter's box. Okay. What do you have to do first? Get your sign. Take a deep breath, get in the batter's box. You can do that with any age kids. And it's amazing how much better their performance is going to be because they're a 100%. little bit more relaxed, but now they're developing a little bit of a routine before they have to to do an activity. So there, like, you can There's, there's
1: three, there's three sort of mental game things that any, like if there's three things that they'll, they'll get by playing speedball or my high school prep team or, or anything that you have to have, it's one, I want you to have a go-to reset strategy and that reset strategy will be your research strategy, not just on the field, but potentially for the rest of your life. And there, and you got to figure out what works for you. The second is you got to understand quality of bats, because it's not just about you out there. It's how to help the team. And the third is a pre-pitch routine at the plate on the mound on defense. Um, you know, take Ken, uh, Ken revisa, I mean, deep breath. Funnel.
0: You know, Andy McKay yep, is exactly. Beautiful deep, with the 15 breath.
1: Funnel. Uh, anchor part, anchor point. Deep breath. Positive affirmation. So in the in the playbook, all the kids they know week four. That's right when they're starting gameplay and they're starting to think about uh, performance. Now, now, how do we reduce fear? Get in the zone. Get locked in. When you step in the box in that speedball game, you got to go through your pre-pitch routine. And I know who's doing it because you can visually see them go through their breathing because it should always include a deep breath. So those are three things that I encourage any youth coach out there to try and equip their players
0: with. Yeah. You don't, you don't even have to be a a good coach. Like, and, and like a knowledgeable coach, I'm saying good coaches. You don't have to be knowledgeable to introduce this stuff. Like you don't even know it. Totally. You know, at the Youth Summit last year in November, we talked about coaches as facilitators, you know, with, with the youth cage. So like that's kind of the term that I like to if, if you're a youth coach, you're a facilitator. And I, I like the experience design piece of all of this, which is basically what it is. You're designing a, a, a good experience for the kids. Yeah, you're I,
1: I do think that coaches can a coach, the title of coach can be a little bit limiting. I mean, you're, I think it scares people
0: off. I think, it, I think yeah. it scares the moms and dads off because they're like, okay, I, I'm not a coach. Well, you can be a facilitator. You can be an experienced designer. That Anybody's capable of doing that.
1: For sure. And so I, I encourage people to think a little bit wider about how they can serve their kids than just coaching up skills. Yes. Think about how you can create a more meaningful experience for these kids. That's the win. They'll develop more skills when you do that.
0: What are some final thoughts or something I should have asked you before I let you go? I
1: don't know. You did a pretty good job, Ryan. You,
0: you, <laughs>
1: we, we, covered a lot of, we covered a lot of territory. I told you it would be organic. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I show up best in these types of situations when it's organic, for sure. Um, no, I, th- I think we, we covered a lot of it. Um, we
0: covered a lot of it.
1: Cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I can't think of anything.
0: All right, cool. That means I did, I did my job, so... I pre- David, I appreciate yeah. you coming on, but yeah, I'm serious about getting you involved with the the November Youth Summit, and then get you more involved with it with the Youth Committee too with the ABCA too. So I'm excited about. I'm excited. About good. I, you, I, I, I'm excited about where you're going. Just
1: thank you so out. much. Thanks so much for having me on. And um, as you can tell, I'm a pretty high energy guy. Right. I, I'm beyond passionate about what I do. I love helping. You ever done like the Enneagram? Like I'm like a mega helper. Um, So anybody that wants some help out there, uh, if I have the time, I'll I'll do my best to help you because I know in turn, you're going to help kids and those kids are going to help the world be a better place. So thank you so much for having me on, Ryan. Yeah, thanks for your time,
0: David. Appreciate you. We have so many positive voices in the youth baseball space right now. I love how David's trying to figure out how to get youth baseball participation up through game modification. Thanks again, Antonio Walker. Jim Richardson, John Litchfield, Zach Hale, and Matt Weston, the ABC office for all the help on the podcast. Feel free to reach out to me via email, at abca.org, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at coachb-abca, or direct message me via the My ABCA app. This is Ryan Brownlee signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks, and leave it better for those behind you.